Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A, and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today on Who's That Star, you will get a chance to learn about someone who's in top administration here on the campus. This star has a Bachelor's of Science and a Ph.D. from Wayne State University. Before coming to LCC in 2018, she worked for Mary Grove College from 1996 to 2018. I think that's 22 years at the same institution. To me, that's commendable. This star has a bunch of different positions in the higher ed. Faculty member, she's taught chemistry, math, physics, forensic science, environmental studies. She's co-taught with a bunch of cool people, and she's led student trips to Greece, Costa Rica, Galapagos, and New Zealand. She has been a department chair, interim dean, special assistant to the president, interim provost, and provost. She grew up in Clawson, Michigan. It's a small town by Royal Oak and Troy. She says it's a two-square-mile radius. She's also a huge baseball and football fan. Are you guys ready to learn who's today's star? Drum roll, please. Today's star is Sally Welch. Let's give her a round of applause. Welcome, Sally, to Who's That Star? Thank you, Lisa, and I really appreciate the invitation. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, I'm honored to have you. I'm excited because I'm going to tell you, like, when I got into higher ed, I didn't really know what your role was. I was like, what What does the provost do? And so I think this is a good platform for you kind of explain some of the stuff that you do. So I guess we'll start out. Tell me about what you do here at LCC and, like, what that role looks like? I think my biggest job is problem solving. Yeah. So how do I remove barriers for students? How do I remove barriers for faculty and staff? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works out great. And sometimes the answer is we can't do anything. Right. When people talk about provost, you are the top academic person on campus, right? Yeah. I'm considered the chief academic officer or the chief learning officer. Of and campus. So everything like goes through you as far as academically wise. Would I meet with you if I was doing a class? Not necessarily. You would meet with your faculty member and then probably the division associate dean or dean. What I'm getting you to understand is she's high on the chain, okay? And you guys don't know Dr. Welch, but she is a shy person, but bright as I get out and I'm impressed because she's a scientist. And for me, that's something that I didn't never think I could strive to. So I'm always 
curious to find out about that. What made you get into becoming a scientist? High school chemistry teacher. Okay. Kind of growing up in Clawson, we had a very strong science program, science curriculum through junior high and high school. Mm -hmm. I took biology and physics. I was like, yeah, it's okay. And I got into this chemistry class and he just made it come alive. It just felt like magic learning about chemistry. And I just, I fell in love with the subject. Is that what you focused on mainly when you were in school in chemistry? But I know it says like sciences. Is it all the sciences or? So when I went down to Wayne State for my bachelor's degree, I originally started in nursing because mm. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had no idea when I got out of high school what I wanted to do. Like a lot of students. Yep. <laughs> so I got down there and then I decided double major in biology and chemistry because mm. I liked both right. enough. I loved chemistry, liked biology. And then I had a horrible experience in a microbiology class. And I said, I am done with biology. I'm doing chemistry. Right. Okay. And I just kept pursuing it. I got into a really good research group when I got out of school and they really helped you learn about chemistry and understand it. And so I just kept going until I finished. What made you decide, because you can make a lot of money in like those fields of science what made you choose education versus going out there and securing the bag, as the kids say? <laughs> so the area of chemistry I like doesn't make money. Okay. Um, I'm technically an organometallic chemist, which is a combination of an organic chemist mm -hmm. and an inorganic chemist. So if I wanted to make money... I needed to go into organic chemistry purely okay. because then you can go into pharmaceuticals, you can go into the beauty field, you can go into petrochemicals, all of those big research pieces. So once I finished my PhD, it was like, okay, now what do I do? I don't want to be the person that was in charge of my lab group because all he did was write grants. He was stressed out. Mm -hmm. And I applied to a bunch of different places. I found this tiny college in Detroit. And it was home. And it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is my calling and how I want to have my career. Well, you can tell because you stayed there so long. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't necessarily stay at one place mm -hmm. and you put down roots there. It sounded like you taught and then mm -hmm. went into different administration there. So they mentored you well, huh? Yeah, they it let me kind of make my own career there. Because we were small, we did a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't just teaching classes. I got to get involved in a bunch of projects. And I found out what I liked and I didn't like, and I just kind of kept going from there. So we had a really awesome grant writer down there. Mm -hmm. And we went for a Title III grant. And basically, we had to put somebody in charge and so a friend of mine and I flipped the coin. I lost. So I was put in charge. And it helped me realize I really like the problem-solving aspect of academics in administration. Yeah. And you can help a lot mm -hmm. more people in that way. You yes and I, no. Well, I mean, I think some of the decisions that you have, it affects a lot of students. And so you mm -hmm. can make those choices that helps students. And I think you've led the way to help students, mm -hmm. you know, to cut time in classes that they may not necessarily need. You've helped support that. And you want students to get educated timely, but still have fun. And I think, you know, you brought a lot of different programs to campus. So for me, you get an opportunity 
to help people grow in their different areas by different initiatives that you start. I think that's pretty cool. We kind of touched on this. Why do you work at LCC and like what keeps you coming here and why are you passionate about it? I know you like the science, but what does it, because you could be somewhere else. So my old school, they ended their undergraduate program Mm -hmm. and I wanted to find a place that had the same vibe that my school did. And I found the ad and I applied here the first day I came, it was like, this is the right place. And I feel like I'm home again. Mm -hmm. So that for me is the most important thing when I try and get a job or look for a place that I want to work at. I don't want it to be a job. I want it to be my home. Mm -hmm. I want to work with my family and I want to help my family grow. That's kind of how I think about it. So what comes, helps me to come back every day, excites me about getting up in the morning is what can I do to help people move things forward? So sure, there are tough days and there are hard things to do, but to see people smile on campus, Mm -hmm. to be able to call a student and say, hey, by the way, you can graduate. We were able to solve your problem. That makes my day. That energizes me. And that's a good feeling too. Mm -hmm. That's a part about my job that I love is that when you can help a student and help them reach that goal, whether it's an easy process or it's hard, it's a thrill. You know, it's fun. So To I'm, see their smile yes. and to see them at graduation with their family and how proud they are, that makes it all worth it. It does, exactly. Well, I was going to ask you, like, what really lights you up? What makes you excited in your life? Outside of LCC, it's really family and spending time with it. Um, I'm very fortunate. I still have both my parents. Oh, yes. And to be able to be there for them right now, they're older. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to help them navigate just fulfills me. Yes. And then I love to travel and do things at home. Those things kind of give me that work-life balance that I need to kind of move forward. So I have a very pleasant life. I'm very happy, Mm -hmm. very enjoyable life. That's good. I was going to ask you about... When you took the student trips, because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned traveling, I was thinking about, like, how did you get involved with that? Like, were you a, what is that where you go and learn, but it's not that? It's not study abroad. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. It's not um, study abroad. My old school had a study abroad program. Um, most of our students came from inner city Detroit, never mm-hmm. left the city, never right. been on a plane. And so our job was to give them experiences they could take with them wherever they wanted to go. So we would apply for running particular programs. So if you got accepted, then you would run your program and take students there. So I always co-taught my courses. So my very first trip was to the Galapagos Islands and Quito, Ecuador, and I did it with an English professor. Wow. And so we did literature and a little bit of the science mythology and creationism and just fabulous time. And I talked about students smiling at graduation, Mm -hmm. seeing them experience, you know, they're petrified to get on the plane. Right. And our first trip, we had to take these little tiny boats across to one of the places we were staying, watching people be brave to get on there. I don't think I could ask for anything better in life. I feel like I'm one of those students because I've never, you know, left the U.S. And I really don't fly a lot. 
but I'm always interested in going and, and, and looking at different places and all the places like you've been, like, I really wanted to go to Greece because it looks just, the scenery looks so beautiful. And for you to get an opportunity to show people that, but you would probably send me home because I would not like getting on the boat and all those firsts are so scary and how you can get people to do that. That's a cool thing. Yeah. When we taught the classes, so we would have almost a full semester of classes before we'd go on the trip. Okay. And so students would hear about, okay, these are the things that you need to do. I think our biggest challenge my first trip was don't drink the water. Right. And I I actually had a student pack a suitcase full of water, (laughs) which is fine. I mean, it it just was like, okay, you got to really worry about the words that you use. But if you were on a trip that I was going to take, you would feel prepared to do all of those things and know what you were going to experience. Yeah. You might still be scared, but we would be right there with you doing it. And be prepared. And then, you know, sometimes that's how you find out some of the best things. If you get over, overcome that fear and it sounds like you had the students well prepared. So that's cool. So maybe I'll have to hit you up <laughs> when I get that trip to Greece. I think once your daughter graduates from high school, maybe you guys should take a trip. Yeah, well, that's in June. So maybe we can start a program because she's coming here to LCC. We need a pro. We need for you to teach a program and, and get us over there, Dr. Welch. I think that would be cool. What is a subject? I'm going to say, what is a subject outside of science that you geek out about? Or as a topic that you love to learn about? To be honest, anything new. I'm really curious and interested about I like to watch the History Channel and learn about the different cultures and time periods. I like to know how things work and figure it out. Mythbusters, probably one of my favorite shows, just to, to take those pieces and the scientists that put everything together and say, yeah, that's right. It's a myth or not a myth. Lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm very curious about the world. So I, I don't know if there's a specific subject, but all subjects. I'm you just, just like interested. learning. Mm-hmm. Hey, that that's good. I, I'm not that way, but I feel like, you know, there are specific subjects, but you, you are just interested in finding something new, learning about it. So that's cool. Well, what life lessons have you learned? the hard way? I think probably the biggest one is earlier in my career, put more life in my work-life balance Mm. and to pause and take time to enjoy things instead of I got to get this paper done and that done and I got to get these things graded. You're going to ask later on, what's my favorite saying or similar to that? Mm -hmm. The older I get, the more I appreciate life is short. And to experience as much as you can and take that time to just do different things and not just work all the time. Right. That's that's a hard thing because I was sucked into the world probably for a good 10 years. Mm. And I taught, oh, I taught probably 18, 17, 18 credits. I was a chair. Wow. Did other things. And so it was, you get up at five in the morning and you come home at six at night, you're tired, you go to bed and you do the next thing. Same thing next day. So I try to work really hard on having balance now. It sounds like it, too. You know, when you talked earlier about the travel and spending time with your family, 
that's important to you now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not that it wasn't before, but it's a priority and it's something that is important that you want to do. I think that's cool. Who do you admire most in the world? So if we're looking at famous people, I really like Barack Obama, and mm-hmm. I like Michelle Obama better, okay. but I like both of them. They always make you smile and feel good mm-hmm. about you in the world when they talk, and right. I, just, I admire that uh, capability. Yeah. I admire them. I think I admire my mom. What about your family? you have any family member that stick out, maybe? <laughs> always the dad, because, you know, he's... He was always steady, and he always made sure that he got his tasks done. And I know that's kind of worky in there, but, but yeah. he, he was always straightforward. He he was honest in telling us what was good and not good about things in mm-hmm. the world. And so I, I definitely admired my dad in that respect. But I think more so now my mom. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, my dad has MS, mm. and so he is uh, wheelchair-bound. He's okay. had MS almost 30 years now, and he's gotten to a point where he has to rely on my mom, and she just takes so much of it, and mm. she's just kind, gentle, wonderful person and takes it all in and is able to just continue to take care of him and, and give him the respect he needs in his life. Right, and th- and that's a beautiful thing to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's real love, right? Yeah. That's that for better or for worse, right? That's yeah. the you got to make sure you're there. It sounds like they're both cool people. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you: Is it go green or go blue? Of course, go blue. Of course. <laughs> oh yeah, you are from the Detroit area, aren't yep. you? I forgot that. Yeah. So, um, when you, how does it feel being up here with all these Spartan fans? I. It's actually it's kind of fun. I know that for the most part, I'm a minority here in terms of liking Michigan, but I have found some friends. Here. Oh, there's a lot of them here. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot in my department too. So yeah, but I think last week was probably the most solidarity I felt with MSU, mm-hmm. and actually went out and purchased some MSU swag and wore it, and right. got teased quite a bit for wearing it, but it was for a good cause. It was that support. You know, at the end of the day, we are live in Michigan and we support one another. So what are you most proud of that you did in the last year? For me, I'm, I'm proud of the work that the people do below me. Mm -hmm. My job is to support and help people to fulfill what they need to do in their jobs. So I, I have big projects, um, but it's, they're not my projects. They're our projects. And I would rather say that I'm proud of them and not anything that I might have done. Hey, that's a good leader, I think. You know, you support the people that are making things happen. And that's good if you don't have support. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, our role. We're, we're in this together. You had asked me a question earlier about what I, I like about or love about LCC. And it's the people here and the passion they have for each other, but also for students. The first year I was here, every time we came into a barrier or a problem, very quickly someone pulled a meeting together, we would talk it out, and we'd try and find a solution and then move it forward. That togetherness and that ability to kind of 
let's collectively work on this. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's great. You just don't see that everywhere. No, you're right. That's why I'm thankful to work here because you can disagree, but people will listen and will try to help come to a solution that is at the benefit for students. And so, and I think that's what we all focus on. And so that's a cool thing. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come on Who's That Star today because this is my first time really getting a chance to talk to you and learn about you. And I think it may be for other people of the LCC community, maybe an opportunity for them to just to learn about what makes you tick a little bit and what you're passionate about. And then for me, it was interesting to learn all the different positions you've held, right? You you worked your way up through the ranks, mm-hmm. so you know about a college and the different areas. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we leave today? I just, again, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I admire this radio show and what you do. I've heard a couple other people on here, and it's just it's a great way to learn about people. And it I, is. I think I really appreciate the time that you spend talking to people. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you guys allow me to do it. And I think I just think it's important because I feel like it's easier to talk to somebody that you've, you know something about. Mm-hmm. You know, it just builds a bridge. And LCC has been a great place for me and just give me a lot of opportunities. And it's been people like you that's trusted, hey, Let's give her a shot. And that's the thing that we do here at LCC, and that's a part of the administration. If you want a shot, they'll give you a shot. You know what I'm saying? You just got to be willing to put in the work. So I want to, again, thank you for coming on Who's That Star. And for everybody, we will see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to Who's That Star. I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out Who's That Star. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in March to the Black Box Stage, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents I Knock at the Door, a play written by Sean O'Casey and adapted by Paul Shire. This play tells the story of a family being held together by a loving and strong mother while class and religious turmoil threaten to pull them apart. I Knock at the Door will be featured March 16th through the 18th, For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half 
don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. On Wednesday, March 22nd, Lansing Community College will be holding its 10th annual transfer fair at the Gannon Commons on LCC's downtown campus. Over 25 representatives will be available to explain transfer options toward obtaining a four-year degree. The transfer fair is free to attend and open to the public. For more information or to RSVP, visit lcc.edu slash march on. We're celebrating one year of LCC Connect, Lansing Community College's first podcast platform dedicated to keeping you connected with LCC and your community. Catch the vibe by visiting us at lccconnect.org and then click on the Celebrate tab to check out photos, videos, and find out how you can get involved. We are LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. It's time for another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E-Q-U-I-T-E-A. Why? Because I just love sharing a good cup of tea. Equity is designed to provide you with tips on issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance your everyday life. Today on Equity, we're going to be discussing inclusivity in the workplace. I have three great tips to help you develop and cultivate an inclusive workplace. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, educate your supervisors and your managers so that they know the value of difference and various cultures that are represented in the workplace. Ensure that they are infused with training and educational resources so that they know how to be equitable in their leading and decision making. Many managers and supervisors are the key points of inclusive practices. So we have to educate as well as equip them to do and have them be their very best. The next tip that I'll provide here in developing an inclusive workplace is to create opportunity where cultures can be valued and thinking can be shared. When you value everyone's culture, their background, their experiences, you automatically open the door to allow employees to think outside the box. This can be very important when you're redesigning policies and procedures, looking at hiring practices, and making sure that your organization is exactly who and what you are aspiring it to be. Last but not least, in developing an inclusive workspace is communication. That's right, I said it, the big C. Communicate what your inclusion goals are and then find a way to measure and track your progress. I love a quote by Brian Ka Chung, who says, Diversity and inclusion is a competitive advantage that a smart leader would not overlook. 
As a leader or part of your organization, it's important that you are communicating what your inclusion goals are and you're having key measurements on how you're going to decide, have we met our goals and what things can we do on a regular basis? Consider getting feedback from employees. Make sure that your goals are realistic. And then finally, encourage everyone to have their voice be heard and that they can participate. When things go wrong, be sure to stand up for what is right. These are just a few tips on how you can develop an inclusive workplace. Now go ahead and grab your favorite cup of tea and take a sip on all of these great tips. This has been another edition of Equa Tea. We'll see you next time. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Build your skills and knowledge without giving up your independence. Summer registration opens March 28th at lcc.edu slash get started. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports. A podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Down and celebrate.
Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thards on Sports. As usual, I am joined by our assistant AD, Stephen Cutter. And Stephen, today we're going to be doing a hodgepodge of talking, but some of the things we've covered that I still want to touch on is um, one of the biggest issues that our student athletes face is time management. And one of the things that, you know, me being from the high school level that we've talked some of my differences in the past is how that fits into their schedule and the travel aspect at this level compared to the high school level. That was one of the biggest differences for me is the travel at the high school level, a lot of local travel. Most of your opponents are 30 minutes away, where at this level, it's more an hour and a half to two hours. Even my own travel, you know, traveling across the country for some events, you know, some of the more national events. As we record this, our, our basketball team just went on the road for the first time in over a month because we had a lot of home events. And, and what that does to a team and how that impacts their routine or their schedule, the differences between being home and away. And, and even for my office, the differences of home and away, like we have a home game coming up and I have to send out communication to all the people that are, are attending and making sure they're on the same page where when you travel, it's usually a bus time and, and making sure everyone had that, making sure we have transportation, whether it's a bus, a van. Do you approach it differently? Uh, how does travel impact um, your your program or even your difference from the different programs you've coached in the past? Travel's a huge thing. We have a large roster, so anytime we travel, it's it's a large amount of people going into one place. So, you know, the buses... When you're on the charter buses, you need to be really organized and detailed on how you pack your stuff. Baseball and softball are sports that have multiple pieces of equipment, um, balls and everything else. So you need to be really organized when you have a large roster. Also, another piece of travel that you didn't necessarily hit on, but, you know, we're feeding our student athletes either before or after the event. And so depending on the roster size, it can be a large challenge, uh, you know, of when I speak about the baseball team and we have, you know, 45 players on the roster, we're not just going to roll into the local McDonald's after the game and expect to get any kind of service. So, you know, last year, I remember a couple times going into different places and we had a little smaller roster last year, but the workers saw the players coming in and took her uh, hat and stuff off. And she said, I quit and walked out the door. And so. we had that happen a couple of times, actually. Our, our basketball team experienced that where they saw us coming in, they went and put the clothes sign <laughs> on the door. Um, and some of that was the pandemic. And some of that is the staffing of some of these restaurants struggling to staff people. But yes, you're right. That is one of the big difference between the high school and college mm -hmm. setting is, is the food aspect. That at the high school setting, sometimes parents would prepare food for afterward. But we rarely stopped on the way home. That, a long time ago we used to, but that kind of faded away. But that is a big part of our, our current travel plans and making sure, because of part of it is the length of the travel that they are going farther and they're, they're gone longer. But coaches have to more strategy on looking for places when they go somewhere. When, when I host an event, I send out local restaurants that are close by and that might be accommodating to those teams that come in. Because that's one of the positive of our program. We bring business into this community when teams travel and I haven't done any like sponsorships or anything with it, but you know, we want to promote local businesses and, and making sure that they are there to, to help these teams out. Cause that's one of the biggest questions I get is where can we eat afterwards and what can we eat? But it's even more important as we travel on the road and preparing for that. And it seems like coaches have had to do more of that 
over the last couple of years as we've dealt with d- difficult situations in, in the restaurant business, but you never want to see anybody quit or you don't want them to be frustrated that large teams are coming to their restaurant or establishment, but food is actually a, an important part of travel. Other routines during the, is it diff, I mean, obviously it's different, you know, traveling and making sure they're there on time and, and preparing the event, being on a long bus ride compared to being in your own facility. But time management is a key piece to our student athletes that, you know, when they travel, it, it, that, do they do homework on the bus in your experience? Do they rest? Do you see any patterns through it's, travel? It's really a combination of a lot of different things that they're doing. Some of them, some of them are being extremely productive. Some of them are not. You know, you'll see some of them catching up on their sleep. And one of the things that probably doesn't get talked about with the travel piece is when you play at home and the game's over. And if you happen to lose, uh, sometimes there's some frustration there, whether it's from coaches or kids, and that applies at the high school level, college level, at every level. When you're at home, you might have a locker room or something. You might have a little time in the locker room and bam, you're you're in your vehicles and you're going home. So how people handle losing is all a little bit different. And when you're on the road, you get to experience all of that when you have those couple hour bus rides plus back home. And, and sometimes that can create a very unique dynamic because maybe coaches do not want kids laughing and having fun or playing music loud or, you know, just different things because there's different expectations after losses. So uh, from a coaching experience, you just kind of have to figure out what, what is okay and, and what's not okay. And you kind of got to blend it off what the team looks like. I know this year when we were in our fall season, we didn't lose a whole lot of games last year and, and we're in our fall season and we, we got beat and those those games don't count. Those games are for learning and for seeing, you know, what what the roster looks like. But we had freshmen on the bus that are hooting and hollering on the bus ride home. And I didn't say anything. I, I let it go. But I can tell you what, we had some really upset sophomores and, and they had some stuff to say the next day to them about, you know, maybe maybe you're used to losing, but we're not. We, we don't care if this is fall or anything else. And so that's an interesting dynamic versus when you're at home and you can just kind of go in the locker room, go your own way and kids can do their own thing. So that's something that really doesn't get hit on a whole lot, but there's a quite a few videos out there of coaches going ballistic on buses and and different in locker rooms after losses. And I don't, I don't know if that's, I agree with you. I think it is something that's not hit on enough. And and at the high school level, the trend was in recent years is to go away from transportation or to have one way transportation. I remember years ago when we decided to not have weekend transportation and the student athlete had to get there themselves. And my coach said, well, if you're not on time, you don't play. And my principal's kid wasn't on time and he didn't play that day. And we ended up adapting that policy or looking at it, but how important that, you know, you mentioned home games where they do kind of straggle in or get in where at away game, there, there's valuableness to that bus ride and, and preparation. And, and there is some difficulty in managing it, especially if you have more than one team on the bus and one team likes to have fun and the other one wants to be serious. It, there's some management issues and preparation issues on the bus. And, and even on the way home, win or lose, it, it's a, 
I think it's a good time to debrief and, and just be with your team where when we took that away from the high school, you know, they rode home with their parents and probably got coached more or yelled at. I mean, I wasn't a great parent taking my kid home, revisiting the game for that 20 minutes. He'd rather ride the bus after riding home with me. And it's hard sometimes because back to our point of getting caught up in the, these events. But but the travel time is important, and even more so at this level when we're traveling. You know, we're fortunate. Lansing's in the center of the state, and we're one of the most centrally located colleges in our league, so our transportation is less than other colleges, but it's still, you know, we still travel an hour, hour and a half, two hours, sometimes three hours for our conference trip. Obviously, we travel further if we're going to national tournaments. You know, you went to Enig last year, and travel has been one of the bigger things that as an AD I've experienced, but I haven't really reflected on how, how it impacts coaches and teams and in the dimensions of it, including the food part of it, you know, how, how soon you want to get there. I mean, last year they implemented bat testing at your level. So, you know, figuring out how soon or how long that takes to get there. Cause one of the things I've learned in this job over my 26 years in it is I don't like messing with coaches in pregame. Coaches have a, a, a pretty regimented pregame ritual that they want to follow and getting their teams ready for the game, and I don't like interrupting that. And travel is a big part of that. Like Some coaches want to be there early. Some coaches want to stroll in and, and be ready to go, and it all plays into part of time management and how, how we deal with individuals and how we deal with, with getting our team ready to to succeed but do you have a, a, a like a plan on how soon you'd like to get to places do you think it's it's normal do you do you see that with some other baseball teams that you've come that some come later that you're worried about getting there and some are earlier thinking what are you guys doing here so early no i th- i think at least for our program we have a lot of structure and we figure out what times we need to be there and what needs to be accomplished in that time there baseball and softball is, is really unique because most of the stuff, you're there for a long time before games start. And we're talking hours. And so you have to be pretty structured to come up with things that they're going to do that is going to be uh, serving to them. So sometimes we're going to do things like what we call show and goes. We're, we're literally going to get off the bus, stretch, throw, and and take the field. And sometimes when it's... 35 degrees and slight breeze uh, it's 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 okay you know so you gotta have a little you gotta have a little bit of feel for the situations that they're in and that's a whole nother aspect is the weather i'm dealing with that last year with a challenging year weather-wise both winter and spring and how that can impact drive time construction across the state you play into we had a lot of teams late this fall in volleyball because they ran into construction in grand rapids or the kalamazoo area and I'm telling you, that gets coaches frustrated if they're not there at a certain time and able to do what they want to do. I've had officials say we have to give them more warm-up time, or I got had officials say, no, we're starting on time, and you have to, to manage that. But we just sometimes they take for granted the, the transportation aspect of the event. And even last year, we were worried about even getting transportation, the, you know, the shortage of bus drivers out there. Um, company dealing with different fleet issues but we've been very fortunate at LCC to manage through that even you know going to qualifying for the national championship in the world series you know short notice and we struggled to find a bus and needed to find some people we know to to help us out in, in 
scheduling those buses and and the costs have gone up gas has gone up and so you have to figure out all those things that are all are part of travel that you know some coaches want to just show up and play and and not even deal with any of the the travel part but you allude to getting there early and you, you know talking about us you know i know nutrition's a big part of your guys the baseball program and and i know it is for other programs too that they have snacks or something available for student athletes because it's again back to time management and scheduling how integral that is a part of everything that we do that having a plan of when they're going to eat and maximize performance is a is another part of scheduling transportation and game day routine and 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 the coaches it's very important it it is very important to to them on on whether they succeed or not of that game day routine and and especially when they're on the road and traveling yeah with the help of rdk the the baseball program has a whole schedule for when they're going to snack on the bus, what they're what they're going to eat, what they're going to eat in the dugout, if they can have caffeine, if they're going to drink caffeine, at what point before the game can they drink caffeine, which is which in theory is typically is about an hour before the game for it to be beneficial. Anything prior is not going to help a whole lot, and and so. If you have if you have that structure, it helps with some of that, and and definitely in our sports helps with that downtime. They they understand what they need to do when they need to do it, and it makes a things a little more fluid. It does help with that structure, and we've talked about technology before on this podcast and how important that is into our business too. But all those little things we're learning about nutrition, about mental performance, about visualization, about rest time, about stretching and, and warming up and how specific we become in, in those routines that they're all very important to perform at the highest level. And coaches are working hard on staying up to date on those and making sure they find something that works best for their team. As you alluded to that, I, I appreciate it. Each team is different. Each program is different. Know, some teams don't need to get there and warm up as much and not just having a blanket for all of that or a standard college policy for all of that because each one is different in what they have to do when they get there and we've talked about factors that impact that nutrition length of travel weather and all those are considered when we make those decisions on traveling and it just it's it's just something we we take for granted most time that you know we just think teams show up and and, and play but they're the they're the purpose on the way there and a and a purpose on the way home and you know we got 24 schools in the MCCA and in our division most trips average around an hour and a half but there are three hour bus rides out there that I would think you'd have to manage your team differently on the longer bus drive than you know not being too tired or not being too disengaged or you know mentally preparing for those contests, whether, you know, how long those contests last. And, and again, some sports travel together, some sports travel differently, but play double headers that to your point of nutrition and all those things play into maximizing performance, which in the end is what we're trying to do to, to be successful and compete at a high level. Anything else on travel that you can think of? or Well, or for, well we used to have a couple of buses, didn't we? We didn't did. We I, I, I do believe we still have two buses. I think they're over on West Campus with the LCC logo on there. But it's my understanding of with the demand of how much the school needs it and the lack of bus drivers out there that we've we've gone to contracting out and, and using a company that helps manage our program for us. I believe we also have 
five to seven vans plus a, an SUV. And, you know, you've had to use the vans before for your large teams. And some of our teams use vans when they travel overnight. Other teams that come in use vans more regularly. And they're just different pros and cons to to the different means of transportation out there. But yeah, right now with with where the transportation business is, we are are using other companies to help manage it. And it's a company that scheduled a lot of college athletics across the country. So, you know, they're very well connected and, and helped us out. This year has been a lot better than last year in finalizing those schedules and securing transportation where last year there it was there was some anxiety there on whether we would have it, especially the trips that we didn't plan out as far ahead because we didn't know we were going to qualify for them. But why do you think that last year there was such an issue for buses or, or bus drivers, but this year there isn't? What, I mean, what changed? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of similar to the official piece that, you know, the society talks about the shortage of officials out yeah, there. They seem yeah. to go hand in hand, the shortage of officials or shortage of, of bus drivers. And I think it's the economy. I think it's um, motivation. I think it was the pandemic of people being maybe nervous of being on buses. I think last year, a lot of those things played into it that there just was a shortage of bus drivers. I knew high schools last year that were paying families to, to have them drive their kids to school because they couldn't get bus driving at that level out east in Maine or New Hampshire or something. Wow. So I think it was a national crisis. And I, it seemed to be better this year. I didn't think they thought it was going to be much better as things turned around. I'm sure they've increased salaries and, and such, but it, it is definitely a big difference for us this year so far, knock on wood, of, of the availability of buses. And I'm, I'm thinking that, that maybe this, the, the staffing is up or they're paying better. And it's just all around um, maybe a better economic. I'm not seeing that in our officials piece, but maybe the bus driver piece is of better supply of them. But I, I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't. I'm, I'm guessing here. I'm just predicting and, and listening you, to what I've heard from. Do you think there's still a shortage of officials too? Do you still see that? As yes. Well? Yeah, I think there's a significant shortage. I think we're we're band-aiding it. I think we're hiding it. I think we're just plugging holes here and there. I think people don't realize the shortage there. Our official clientele is older. They're we're wearing them out because we're asking more of them because there is a shortage of them. Maybe not so much at our particular level, but I think it is at our level. I know there's other levels that have canceled contests or moved contests because of a shortage of officials in all sports, not just a particular sport. I think I have my own reasons why I think that is. I think a lot of people blame sportsmanship on that issue. Um, some of it is the age of officials. I think some of it is the new student coming into sport. You know, you got to make quick decisions and you get yelled at one way or the other, whether you make that decision, I'm sure not, we're not preparing people to be in those positions. That's why I 100%. think it should be in the curriculum that school to teach these kids. And that's why I think it's important for people to experience being official because see how now, how uneasy it is. It's a difficult to be a, an official and make split decisions. And as we've, I've learned watching all the instant replays on TV of how right they actually are on, on a lot of these, or even how tough it is after instant replay to, to make these calls. But I think it's a society thing. I think it's something we need to address. I know a lot of levels are trying to address it, but I'm not sure we're making headwaves yet. And it's just really trying to get a younger pool in, supporting them, trying to teach them to succeed and, and protecting them from all the criticism that they receive on making one call because 50% of the people aren't happy with the call they make, especially the more end of a game call. Every call throughout the game makes a difference at the game, but the more like 
attention to that call it makes. But that'd be a whole nother podcast talking about um, mm-hmm. officials and, and the shortage and, and things to do to help improve that. And, you know, I've been part of the process at other levels to, to try and make that happen. And I think that's still something that we have a lot of work to do yet on it. Right. Most of the officials are good. They don't take the field of their court with some bias towards one team or another. I mean, some of them aren't great, but but most of them are, are really good. And they hear a lot of different things and you got to be able to deflect some of that. It'd be like going on social media and believing and buying into everything people are saying about you. If it's bad, it doesn't matter. It's just it's somebody else's opinion. And when you got parents in the stands, you know, I was at a basketball game recently and there were some parents in the stands that were extremely adamant about poor officiating and and how uh, things were not equal and I don't think the officials are out there trying to make things not equal they're just calling things like they see them most of those are their opinions as well Uh, what they think is a foul or what they think is a, a ball or a strike and so you really have to kind of respect that piece of it because it's their opinion. They're in charge of the game. You might not agree with that opinion. It might have been a terrible call. But we don't have instant replay at this level, at least not yet. And you have to roll with it. And I'm not sure instant replay is an answer after seeing some of these plays that you think the instant replay shows that they should be overturned or kept and the other well, way it goes. I, <laughs> I do because we, we've had, we, we video all this stuff and then we're, you know, after the game, I'm like, hey, you got to look at this. You were, this was, so, you were really wrong on so this. So you, if we would have had instant replay, it would have been overturned. So you, so. So you see us going to ro- robots as oh, officials in the I, future. Well, there's a shortage. So yeah, and the, and the minor mean, league is trying some right. of that with, with, plate officials and and again I, I think video replay can be good I think it lengthens some of the games because of some of the tough calls but to your point is I work hard on protecting our officials they're one of the groups that when they come here I want to make sure they're well taken care of there's been way too much violence with officials after contests across the country too many stories of, of officials getting abuse after you contest. don't have you won't have that problem with robots I mean their feelings aren't going to get hurt if you're yelling at them I mean it's just not going to matter so but people still will be mad at their calls and, and they'll find different ways to to attack them. It just is that important and, and throughout the game. And I've always been a believer official can't cost you a game. There's so many things that go into winning or losing a game, although you see that if it's the last play, but there were many plays before that that could have impacted the game too. We mm-hmm. focus on the last play and we focus on the officials compared to did your son or daughter miss a free throw or make a mistake or an error? Did your did your coach do something? Did the, did the AD have the light too bright or too dark or the too hot or too cold in the facility? So there's just so many variables, but for some reason, the officials are the ones that, that seem to be under the most scrutiny, and I think that led to a, to a shortage. Right. Well, again, I wasn't expecting to talk about officials today. I think that's a whole nother podcast we can visit down the line, but it did lead in from our, our conversation on travel and how important travel is into the athletic department and game day routine. And then talking about the shortage of bus drivers led us into the shortage of officials. But as always, very good conversation. Spent much more time than I thought, but I always enjoy talking those kind of issues with you and help me as we I go back to the office and, and solve these problems for our student athletes. So great job today, Stephen. Thank you. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars!
sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's dual enrollment program offers the opportunity for qualified high school students to earn college credit while working towards their high school diploma. Dual enrollment lets students receive educational advancement in areas where the student's interest is displayed, especially in courses and academic areas not available in the student's high school. To find out more information about dual enrollment, visit lcc.edu. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, and thank you for tuning into Inside LCC Today. I'm Betsy Berger, Dean of the Health and Human Services Division at Lansing Community College. Today I'm excited to share one of the 12 programs in our division. Under the direction of licensed and registered faculty, we train emergency, healthcare, fitness, and human services professionals. Enjoy today's episode. The 24-week Fast Track Medical Assistant Program is a competency-based partnership between Lansing Community College and a local affiliated health center. LCC's long-standing curriculum is used throughout the program. The 24-week program is offered two times per year during the fall and spring semesters. The program is 736 hours, including a 160-hour clinical practicum and 48-hour registered medical assistant exam preparation course. Students complete didactics or MA theory courses 100% online and attend online real-time, which is a virtual lecture with a clinical instructor a minimum of twice a week for administrative and clinical instruction. The development of clinical and administrative knowledge, skills, and experience takes place at the health center under the guidance of an experienced MA preceptor. Program benefits include meeting the demand for qualified and trained medical assistants to fill open positions, Learning is geared to employer expectations and need, and a one-to-one mentorship with an experienced MA preceptor to enhance administrative and clinical MA skills. Graduates of the program receive a certificate of achievement upon program completion and are eligible to sit for the medical assistant exam through the American Medical Technologist to become a registered medical assistant. For more information about the 24-week Fast Track MA program, please contact Mary Lewis, the Medical Assistant Program Coordinator, at 517-483-1431 or by email at lccmedicalassistant at lcc.edu. I want to thank you for joining us today and hope you enjoyed today's episode. The field of health and human services provides a wide range of careers that are exciting, fulfilling, and offer many opportunities for professional growth. For more information about our associate degrees and certificates offered in the division, please visit our website at lcc.edu hhs or call the division office at 517-483-1410 to schedule a tour or connect with the program director. You can find today's episode of Inside LCC along with other great LCC programs at lccconnect.org. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision 
of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. <laughs>